Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As of this morning, there are more than 3,100 confirmed coronavirus cases in California, a number that will only grow and grow quickly as the pandemic peaks. But some good news. California appears to be making progress when it comes to virus testing. Governor Gavin Newsom says as of Tuesday, nearly 67,000 tests have been done in the state and thousands more will soon be completed. The California Report's Lily Jamali has been looking into testing and joins me now with more. Lily, what's the latest? Well, Governor Newsom says 150,000 new coronavirus tests are coming. That would be three times the number of tests carried out so far. So call it progress in an area that's been really frustrating to many Californians who simply haven't been able to get tested for this highly contagious virus. Newsom explained that these tests have been administered by a lot of different kinds of institutions, from private companies like Quest Diagnostics to university medical centers. So it's been a hodgepodge, and the results weren't all making it to state officials. That is changing now, but Newsom also had this warning. It's one thing to do the diagnostics. It's another to get word back on the test results. Uh, Tens of thousands of those tests that I just mentioned are waiting uh, for the results to be finalized. The results can take a week or more to get. Newsom said that's not good enough. But he also said a lot of people around this state are working on it. Saul? That's the California Report's Lily Jamali. Among those working on it are scientists at the Medical Center at UC Davis. Before most of us had even heard the term coronavirus, the center had its hands on a testing device made by the company Roche. It's the size of an SUV, and right now it can process about 20 coronavirus tests per day. Researchers at UC Davis are hoping to get that number to 200 by the end of this week, and hopefully soon to 1,000 per day as they continue to count the machine. Physician Nam Tran, director of clinical pathology at UC Davis Medical Center, says it's an example of the kind of resources the UC system can bring to the fight. We're so big, and of course our state is so populous, it has driven our strategic planning prior to all this COVID stuff to be able to support the needs of the entire state. So obviously investment in high cutting-edge technology such as that Roche platform, amongst many others. However, for now, the UC Davis tests are for patients already in its medical system, which raises the issue of access to testing. We're going to work to be able to test people who are coming through the emergency room who might not be admitted, and of course, patients with, that are coming to our clinics. That's correct. And as we scale beyond that, we can look at other you know, means to help the community. As testing ramps up at UC Davis, that could take pressure off of other testing facilities that have been overloaded with demand. New numbers out today show more than 3 million Americans have filed for unemployment. In California, 1 million claims, or about a third of the national figure, have been filed in just the last two weeks. 
one million. For perspective, that's like the entire population of both San Francisco and Daly City suddenly losing their jobs. One good piece of news: Governor Gavin Newsom says America's biggest banks have agreed to provide mortgage relief to Californians. Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank,、uh, City, and J.P. Morgan Chase、uh, have all agreed to 90-day. A waiver of payments for those that have been impacted by COVID-19. Meanwhile, California's response to the pandemic is upending the state's finances. The state's Department of Finance has transferred 1.3 billion dollars from California's budget reserve account to help fight COVID-19. There's still a lot of savings to draw on, but KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer says that money has strings attached. The funds transferred yesterday empty out the state's traditional emergency reserves completely, and will be used to pay for protective equipment and medical supplies needed by hospitals. That still leaves the rainy day fund created by voters in 2014 with about 16 billion dollars. Finance Department spokesman H. D. Palmer says that can only be drawn on if the governor declares a fiscal emergency. There can only be a maximum of up to half of the balance in that account. Withdrawn in the first fiscal year of a declared emergency, we're not at that point yet. Earlier this week, the Newsom administration told legislators and agency directors to prepare for budget cuts as the COVID-19 pandemic pushes revenues off a cliff. San Francisco Democrat Phil Ting chairs the Assembly Budget Committee. Our sales tax situation is continuously changing. We may have to go back and make further cuts, frankly, in the fall. Ting and others are hoping the damage to the economy will be short-lived if the virus can be contained. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Just before the coronavirus pandemic struck, Los Angeles was trying to bring part of its underground economy into the light. Street vendors who have long sold food and merchandise illegally were made legal. And started applying for licenses, but that program has come to a halt because of the pandemic. And city authorities are cracking down on vendors, trying to get them off the streets because of fears they could help spread COVID-19 in dense urban neighborhoods. I saw one of those enforcement actions yesterday in LA's MacArthur Park neighborhood. That's where I met Sophia, a vendor who didn't want her last name used because she's in the country illegally. No, que no nos dejan vender, pues a nosotros no sé por qué si nosotros estamos trabajando, ¿me entiendes? Nosotros no estamos haciendo cosas malas, no es delito. Sofia told me she was just trying to work and not do anything bad. When I told her the authorities were trying to protect public health, she asked how were vendors supposed to pay their rent and take care of their families. When I asked her what she would do, she said she doesn't expect the state or federal government to help people like her. So she'll keep trying to sell by avoiding authorities and put her faith in God. Now to another place on the economic spectrum. With pandemic shelter-in-place orders in effect, a lot of people are getting a little stir crazy at home. And if you have the means, you might be thinking, "Why can't I just get out of town and head up to the mountains or out to the desert?" KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg joins me to talk about why that's not such a great idea. The primary issue that we're dealing with in any sort of isolated place is limited resources. So, small communities often have one single critical care hospital, and you don't want outsiders bringing in the coronavirus. So, if you're in a hotspot like 
say you're in San Francisco, you don't want to go to some small town that doesn't have the virus and potentially, you know, spread the virus there. You also don't want to get COVID-19 in a small place because hospitals are likely to get overrun if cases explode there, if there's a surge in cases. So let's use Lake Tahoe as an example. Patients who need specialized care where there's only one hospital are generally sent to Sacramento or Davis. So what if those communities are overrun? Then you've got people sitting in an ER in Tahoe without any place to go. So that's a really bad scenario. Uh, I talked to an emergency room doctor in Tahoe. His name's Clay Josephi, and this is what he had to say. We have a small, rural, geographically isolated community hospital. Like we don't have, you know, a cath lab or a neurosurgeon or interventional radiology for strokes. So what he's basically pointing out there is that you don't want to have a specialized need in one of these places. So it's best just to stay where you're at. So are there some places starting to feel the impact of -of out-of-towners coming in? Yeah, a really good example is a little tiny town in Idaho called Sun Valley. This happens to be where my my brother lives. It's a little ski town where a lot of people from Seattle, LA, San Francisco have second homes. And now there are a surge in cases in this little tiny town that were probably flown in from people going to their second homes, their vacation homes. And that little tiny hospital is now down 90 healthcare workers out of 450. Some are sick with the virus. Some were exposed to patients who had coronavirus before they were really ready to take on those patients. There's not enough ambulances in this little town now to meet their needs. There's overloading at hospitals in the region. Inhalers and breathing support is running on short supply. I talked to an ER doctor there named Terry O'Connor. We took a big hit in our medical capacity with losing a lot of personnel. And I think this is a cautionary tale for a little rural critical access hospital, but you just know the story is going to play out in so many other places in the nation in the weeks to come. Hmm. Okay, so going to a rural town or semi-rural town is isn't a good idea. But what about like just a long solo hike or going camping by yourself or with a partner? Anything wrong with that? The same advice really applies. You know, a long solo hike maybe close to home on a trail that you're really familiar with is probably okay. The problem with being out and doing solo things is if you get hurt. So if you sprain an ankle, then you could potentially add more stress to an already stressed healthcare system. You don't really want to leave your county. Sheltering in place, the goal of that is to stay close to home. All right. That's KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg. Uh, Leslie, thanks so much. Thank you, Saul. And that's our show for Thursday, March 26th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Be well, everybody. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering financial planning with registered advisors and serving over 2 million people with online financial tools. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care, now with 770 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. 
Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with Instant Pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.